0: Welcome to the podcast, With All Your Mind, hosted by me, Rachel Grimm. We're here to help understand the Bible with cultural and historical context, linguistic info, and other cool stuff. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back. It's Rachel again. This is With All Your Mind, and we're on a continuation, a part two of our little summer series that has mostly nothing to do with the Bible, but we're finding little connections here and there with the Bible. So I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you like the first one, um, which is the first of the summer, but we're just still calling it uh, season one, episode 18. This is episode 19. We're just keeping it all a part of season one, just because it's easier, (laughs) easier to do it that way. Okay. But this is stuff that I've had in my head for a while, it didn't go with Bible stuff, but I just wanted to kind of put it somewhere, put it out there in case it was helpful. And then I realized it would be really helpful for talking about the fall seasons theme and everything in it, because it has a lot to do with written language. So we're talking about written language and the history of the English alphabet, but mostly like it's world history, where it came from in the world and then contrasting it with other alphabets and writing systems from around the world and just talking about how writing developed in general because it's actually a really interesting story and I didn't realize how much I took writing and literacy for granted Um, we're just such a literate culture anymore everything is about writing if you just think about it, how much writing is everywhere Books are everywhere, texting, emailing, billboards, signs on the road. We really take writing for granted. Even just menus at restaurants. Um, You can't do much of anything without being literate. So the written language is not necessarily language. A language can survive without having a written portion to it, a written form of it but we'll talk about what it does to a language when it doesn't have a written form later. That will probably be in the next podcast, not today. I don't think we'll get there. <laughs> so let's continue on. We started off with talking about just written language in general and the different systems that you can have, an alphabet, a syllabary, or a logo syllabary. Alphabet is one symbol corresponds to one sound. A syllabary means one symbol correlates to one syllable. And a logo syllabary often is one character or one symbol is representing one idea. So it goes sound, syllable, idea. Those are the three different types of systems. And then some of them kind of have both. Uh, Some systems have syllable ones and alphabet mixed together and then logo syllabaries have picture plus syllables um, and then it just kind of ranges all across the board. So let's go back we're going to talk about the origins of the English alphabet one more time. So the Phoenician alphabet is what kind of got spread around the most. There was a granddaddy language, right, that had a granddaddy alphabet. Somebody invented an alphabet for this one language. And then, several different alphabets formed out of that alphabet. So the Hebrew alphabet, the Arabic alphabet, and the Phoenician alphabet all came out of that one granddaddy alphabet that we don't really know what it was or where it was. But it was in the area of the ancient Near East. So the Phoenician alphabet spread around a lot. It became a very international alphabet because the Phoenicians were the traders of the Mediterranean Sea. They lived on the Syrian coast, what is now the Syrian coast, and they traded around to a lot of different places. And trade always has a lot to do with spreading around ideas, languages, cultures, all those kind of different things. If you're in a good trading location, you will get to meet lots of different peoples from a lot of different places, and you'll learn about their different cultures. So the Phoenicians spread their alphabet all around the Mediterranean Sea, and that touches on three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. So that is that whole area is a great place to be if you want to spread an idea or a, uh, a way of doing things around. So the Phoenician alphabet got spread around, including to what were at the time Greek barbarians in about 800 BC. The Greeks consider themselves pretty high society, right? Oh, you Greek, oh, fancy. But they didn't start out that way. They were barbarians first. And barbarians are the kind of people that are willing to change an alphabet. They're like, look at that and be like, meh, I don't need that. Mm, Oh, that part's cool. I'll take that. More civilized cultures were a little bit more hesitant to butcher up somebody else's written form of a language. But the Greek barbarians, they were cool with it. So they adapted it to Greek by changing it and adding some letters and subtracting some letters. And we know that the Greek Empire conquered huge portions of Europe north africa and asia like alexander in 300 bc that's 500 years after they got this alphabet he conquered all the way to india and deep into europe and the greek language became the trade language right etruscans and romans who were both in what is now italy thought it was pretty cool and they adapted it for latin and etruscan Latin was the language of Rome. So Latin changed some things from Greek, but not a whole lot. So if you ever thought, oh, I should have taken Latin in high school, people say it was so important to take Latin. You know what? If you still study Greek, it still has the same effect. You still learn a lot about the origins of modern vocabulary and modern French, Italian in Spanish, okay? So Greek is just as valuable to learn as Latin because Latin, the written form of Latin was adapted from the Greek written form. In the meantime, the Roman alphabet was going in all directions, was being spread around by the Roman Empire. And this was an interesting one. There are even Mongolian and Chinese languages that use the Roman alphabet, it gets spread as far as China. That's right. So most of Europe uses the Roman alphabet that was actually Greek, that was actually Phoenician, that was actually Semitic. Semitic, we've talked about that word too, right? Semitic, related to Hebrew. Semitic languages are ones that are now considered Afro-Asiatic languages. That means from the Middle East, from Northeast Africa, and Southwest Asia. I had to picture a map in my head to be able to say that. Right? So Semitic languages like Ethiopian languages, Somali languages, Ancient Egyptian, Arabic, Aramaic. Those are Semitic languages. So the granddaddy language that first produced an alphabet was Semitic. And then the Phoenicians took it. And then the Greeks took it. And then the Romans took it. That's how it came to us. But we're just talking, remember, about the written form. Semitic grammar and structure and style is totally different from English and from Latin and from Greek. We're talking about the alphabet when we're talking about these things. So the granddaddy alphabet came from Semitic We don't speak a Semitic language as English speakers. Make sure you have a distinction in your mind that a written alphabet can represent anything. It doesn't always do a good job. As you know, whenever you've looked at a Chinese name written in English letters, you still do not have any idea often how to pronounce that name, right? It's because an alphabet can represent anything, but it doesn't always do a good job. So we use the Roman alphabet to represent English. But English is not the Roman alphabet. We have an alphabet. But it wasn't ours originally. So let's fast forward to modern English and talk about what we have now. Okay, We have 26 letters in our alphabet. If you sing through the A, B, C, D, E, F, G, that's how many symbols we have. Right? And we, we talked in the last podcast about the difference between symbols and sounds, characters and phonemes, right? Characters or symbols represent sounds. A phoneme is a single sound. A syllable has a vowel attached to it. We have 26 symbols or letters in our alphabet, but how many sounds do we have? How many sounds do we have in English? Take a second and take a wild stab at it. How many sounds do you think English has? All right, do you have a number? The answer is 44. We have 44 individual sounds in English, but we only have 26 letters, 26 symbols to represent those 44 sounds. (laughs) The English alphabet The Roman alphabet is not made for English. If we made our own alphabet, it might have 44 symbols in it. That would be ideal, but we don't. (laughs) So let's talk about what we do have. We have about, and it ranges depending on dialect and how you want to count things, but we have about 30-ish consonant sounds. Consonants are B, C, D, F, G, H, J, K, L. Those are consonants. They're the sounds that we make. Vowels are the things that help us make those sounds. A, (laughs) A, E, I, A, U. Those are the vowels. A, E, I, O, U. Consonants. We have 30-ish of those. We have all the letters that you know, like that are in the alphabet. But there's a few more sounds that don't have their own symbol. Okay? Here's some of the sounds that don't have their own symbol. We mentioned one of them, two of them, in the last Um, podcast, zh. We have the sound zh. "Zh." In Russian, they have their own symbol for it, and it kind of looks like a spider. It's like um, an X that has too many lines in it. It has an upright line in with the cross of the X. So Russian has a symbol for zh, but we don't have a symbol for zh. Here's some of the words that have that sound in it and think about how it's spelled because I'm going to give you three different words and that sound is spelled two different ways. Okay, ready? J. As in measure, treasure, those are spelled pretty much the same way, and then division. Division. I'm exaggerating it so that you can hear it clearly, but J. Measure, treasure, and division. It's a sound, it's a phoneme that we do not have a symbol for because Latin and Greek and Phoenician apparently didn't need it. But we have a sound for us, that sound in English. And we spell it a couple of different ways because we don't have a standard way to spell it because we don't have a symbol for it. Not English's fault. (laughs) Okay, another sound that we have that you'll know, it's pretty obvious, And we have a standard way to to spell this is ch. Ch as in chapter or cheese. But we don't have one symbol for it. We use two letters together for it. Uh, So chapter. And then we have different ways to spell it. We don't always do it the same way. Future and righteous. Three different ways to spell ch. Another one that we don't have a symbol for. Sh like sheep or shear. We have that S-H spelling for it, but that's two letters put together, and we know that that means sh. But it doesn't have its own symbol, which means sometimes we spell it random ways. sh as in sheep, but also as in ocean and shore. So three different ways to spell that one. Now here's another one that is a double whammy, okay? We have th for th. So we have th, which is one sound, so that's one phoneme, and we usually spell it with th. Thick, thin, and thinker. But, uh, sorry, plot twist, did you know that there's actually two sounds that we spell with th? Yeah, sorry. You really only learn this if you're a second language person learning English as a second language, or you're an English teacher and you're trying to get people to pronounce things correctly, or maybe a choir director (laughs) and trying to get people to pronounce things correctly. There's also TH, which is a TH. There's TH, which is just air coming out of your mouth. TH. And then there's also TH, as in the, or LEATHER, or BREATHE. We have two phonemes that we spell with T-H. Sorry. There's <laughs> English for you. Now, another one that we don't have a symbol for, but we just put two letters together for, is N-G. N-G, as in ring, or sling, or bling. But we also spell it a different way, like in pink. 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 You might think, oh no, that's just P-I-N-K. There's no G sound in there. No, but there is an N-G sound in there. Sorry, pink, like ping pong. Do you pronounce it any differently? Nope, it's just with a K on the end, pink. So that's one big reason why English looks so horrible and is so horrible to learn how to pronounce is because our alphabet is not suited for and not designed for, nor is it intended for the English language. It was made for another language. And so we just kind of jammed our language into it. And we didn't have enough letters. So we just came up with other ways to spell things. Okay. Now onto the vowels, which are even worse. So we have 13 to 20 vowel sounds, depending on how you want to count them. 13 to 20. And how many vowels do we have? five. (laughs) So five little vowels are supposed to do the job of 13 to 20 vowel sounds, 20 vowel phonemes. And that counts in, by the way, R and Y are considered partial vowels. They do the job of consonant and vowel. When you think about how R uh, messes with vowel sounds, Yeah, it's still considered a vowel sound when it's messing with it. So I'm not going to get into all the different vowel sounds. It would take too long and you'd probably get really bored and that's when you would stop listening. So that's in general what we're working with. We're working with an alphabet that has too many sounds to go along with it and then we just got inventive with how to represent those extra sounds. But then we also have symbols that we could do without that we don't even need like Q and X and C. And those are things that Greek had a sound for and we don't, but we just keep on using them like dummies. (laughs) So that's a big reason, so two big reasons now, why our alphabet and our writing system just looks janky. It's because we have too many sounds to go with with the alphabet that we have. And then we have extra letters that we don't really need, but we keep because, oh well. Oh, that was a fun one by the way. This is another really important reason for why language doesn't change. Have you ever wondered why we don't just like do over the English language, just like totally revamp it and like chop out Q and X and C and add in some extra letters for like TH and SH and ZH? Why don't we just do that? There's actually a couple of pretty good reasons for why not. And the biggest one that I found that I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm actually okay with that. The biggest reason why you don't change an alphabet, because as soon as you do that, you make the next generation unable to read old literature. After they learn the new alphabet, and that was their alphabet, that would be home to them. That would be where they live. That's what That would be how they would read. What happens to old literature when you do that? People don't read it anymore. It's too hard. We don't read Beowulf nearly as much anymore because it's hard. Have you ever read that crap? It's hard because the language is different and the spelling is different. And they used to have a symbol for SH and we don't use that symbol anymore. And so you look at it and you're like, what is that? What's that thing? And so that's one big reason to not change the alphabet it would make it so that everything written in the 20th century and before would stop being read. So I'm kind of okay with not changing the alphabet because of that. So let's move on to another problem that we have (laughs) with the English alphabet. And this is a problem that happens in every language of the world. And English does not have it as bad as some other languages. And that is where you say a word. And my example here is gonna be two. We have three different words that I could mean, and you only really know when you're looking at the written language, right? So two, two, and two. There's too much food on the table, T-O-O. There are two people in the room, T-W-O. I'm going to the store, T-O. Sometimes writing helps us to understand what is being said. In that case, it helps us. So these are homonyms, right? Words that sound the same, but are spelled differently. But then we have the problem of words that rhyme, and you think they should be spelled the same, but they're spelled differently. Here's another homonym first, fat, and P-H fat, capital P-H fat, uh, those are homonyms, and they mean completely different things. And here are some words that you think should be spelled the same, but aren't like boot and flute. One is spelled O-O, and the other is spelled with a U. How fair is that? Not at all. Another one that you think should be spelled the same, eat and meat. E-A-T, M-E-E-T. E-A-T-M-E-E-T. Not fair at all. So we have a variety of spellings that drive us crazy and make English hard to learn. So <laughs> that brings us to our next topic. What is English? (laughs) We talked about the English alphabet and where it came from, but now let's talk about the English language and where it came from. So English is from the British Isles. That's where it was born. But it came out of native tribes from Britain. So they're British tribes that lived there. And then Germanic peoples that came to Britain in the 500s A.D., Those Germanic peoples came from continental Europe, northern Europe. So France, Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, Denmark, that area. And they moved in and conquered the British Isles. And then they mixed together, their language mixed together. Mixy-mixy, we get English, okay? So English is a Germanic language of the Indo-European family. So what is Germanic? Germanic is Northern Europe. What is Indo-European? Well, (laughs) I won't get into this too much because basically it's a bit of a mystery where this originated from, but there's a huge swath of languages ranging from Iceland all the way to India that are related and people didn't really notice this until the 1500s and then they slowly started taking note and studying things and then through the 1800s they realized oh wow all of these languages are related turkish russian bulgarian spanish english icelandic celtic welsh um sanskrit persian all of these languages have things in common And it really started with one guy that noticed that words in Sanskrit sounded like words in Italian. And then they just started from there. Okay? So the Indo European family, as a group of languages that are all related through a great, 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 great granddaddy language somewhere way back before even written language. So we don't know where, we don't know how, but they're all related. Hindi and Greek and German are all related, but very distantly, like Tenth Cousins kind of thing. Then there's Romance languages, which are languages directly descended from Latin. Okay, so that's French, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese. So Romance means coming from Rome and Latin. Germanic is Northern Europe, meaning more like Danish, German, Swedish and Norwegian, okay? So English is not a Romance language. It is not directly descended from Latin. It is directly descended from German, from Germanic languages. That means that English, grammar, and vocabulary is more like German than Greek or Latin. So that's the history of English, of where the language came from. And I used to hate English because it has such a janky alphabet. But then I learned more and realized it's partly an inappropriate alphabet. But you know what? Words have origin stories. So if you learn the origin stories, you learn to hate the language a little bit less if you're like me and want to be rid of this janky system. So one of the things that I found when I was researching for this, and once in a while, I just, instead of reading deep academic (laughs) books, once in a while, I just Google things and see what I can find. So One of the things I found was an article on Wikipedia, and it was like, ah, this is what I've been looking for this whole time, but not quite, but hey, I want to share this information with you. There's a list on Wikipedia. It's an article called List of English Words with Dual French and Anglo-Saxon Variations. and I'm going to put it in the show notes as part of my resources. It's basically a list of English words that we can get two different words from. We have two different forms that mean the same thing, basically. And one is from French, and one is from Anglo-Saxon. You'll see that English can get stupid with how it spells things. There's more than one way to spell a word, like two, two, and two. But also, there's different kinds of vocabulary. And part of it is because France invaded England in 1066, and it ruled for, I think, about 200 years there, and it permanently changed the English language. French words got stuck in English vocabulary like they never had before. So look at this list, or listen to this list, and you'll see, uh, I'll give you words in pairs. The first word is going to be the Anglo-Saxon, the Germanic word, and the second word is going to be the French word, the French word that came from the French when they were ruling in England a thousand years ago, (laughs) okay? The English list sounds more unrefined, and basic, and kind of clunky, and unsophisticated, and the French list sounds more sophisticated, and refined, and specific. So listen to these words. First one Germanic, second one French. They're all English words now, but their roots are from Germanic and French, okay? So motherly versus maternal. Not a huge difference on that one, but how about help versus assist? You sound more sophisticated when you use assist, right? Answer versus respond. Respond sounds more formal. Ask versus inquire. <laughs> inquire. Buy versus purchase. Cook versus chef. Smell versus odor. Lawyer versus attorney understand versus comprehend so a lot of english connotation how we feel about a word sometimes comes from word origin where it came from so another fun fact this is just this is just a vocabulary thing fun fact the culture of the people affects a language in rather unexpected ways Okay. Culture, how people use a language, what they talk about, what they value in their culture, affects language. So there's lots of war and fighting terminology that we still use from English's Germanic roots and the Anglo-Saxons. That was because the Anglo-Saxons had a lot of war terminology, And you might just say, oh, yeah, Anglo-Saxons, like the Vikings and stuff, right? They were just always, you know, conquering and, you know, pillage and all this stuff, right? Well, that's part of it. They were a warlike culture. But the other reason is that their poetry, their poetry, okay, poetry, their poetry was not based on rhyme, like in modern English, or based on couplets, like in ancient Hebrew, it was based on alliteration. And alliteration is when you have the same sound at the beginning of word. Like, all angry ants are around. That's alliteration. Anglo-Saxon poetry was based on alliteration. So how they came up with a way to easily come up with lots of, ru- lots of poetry was to have lots of synonyms for words. And that way, they had lots of choices. So they didn't just say sword. They said sword, or blade, or knife, or switchblade, or butterfly knife. You know, they had lots of different terminology for the same thing, so that then when they went to make poetry, they had lots of choices for which letter they wanted to use, okay? So sometimes culture plays into vocabulary and how our language looks. All right, so back to the origins of words. English is Germanic, but we have a pretty significant French influence on our spelling and vocabulary. But you can also tell the origin of other words based on spelling. Did you know this? I love this. This is another reason why I don't want really our language to be revamped. I like knowing where our language comes from, where our vocabulary comes from. So, Latin, you can blame Latin for whenever you see a C before an I and it's pronounced as an S, like civic and civil. <laughs> That's Latin's fault. Greek, you can blame them whenever you see a PS, like psychology, or PN, like pneumatic, and then HY, like hysterical and hysterectomy. And then C-H used like a K, like in chaos. There's certain themes and trends that happen over and over again, and it's because an ancient language, an ancient origin for English, used spelling that way. Another one, Germanic or Anglo-Saxon, which is our actual language. (laughs) You can blame them for things like K-N in knife and all the A-U-G-Hs like daughter and laughter. There's pronounced different ways. I don't know the story behind that, but when you see these A-U-G-H spellings, you can blame Germanic for that. Besides that, there's another reason why spelling is messed up. And that is that you can get lots of words from other languages and just adopt them in to your own language. One of the basic reasons for borrowing vocabulary is if it's a new thing for you and you just don't even have a word for it so we have african words like banana yam and zebra because we saw those things and we didn't have a word for it in english and we took it and we just were like oh you call that a banana all right i'm gonna call that a banana we did the same thing for japanese words like sushi and anime we really should spell anime a completely different way We don't because we probably base it on how it's spelled in Japanese. Norwegian is very similar. We have fjord and ski. We should spell those words different ways, but we take Norwegian spelling and we're okay with it. We took Indian words like cashmere and khaki and shampoo, and we're like, cool, we'll call it that too. And we took Aztec words like avocado, chipotle, and chocolate. And we're like, you know what? Chipotle. That looks fine to us. (laughs) We'll take it. And we did not change the spelling. So now we know that English looks like a mishmash of spelling rules partly because it gets its vocabulary from all sorts of different languages, but also because it started with an alphabet that was not made for English. So English had to take the alphabet and try to match what it could to how it sounded. And other languages have had to do the same thing. Did you know this? The Roman alphabet spread everywhere, and everybody else was like, cool, I'll use that too. It doesn't match my language. Hmm, what should we do about that? So different languages came up with different hacks to make it match their language. Irish. I don't have an example word for you except for one. Irish has a lot of vowels in it, but it doesn't have a lot of vowel sounds. What they're doing is that a lot of vowels... Vowel symbols in Irish do double duty to tell you about consonants. They use vowels to show you something about the consonant right next to it. I do not know Irish. I will not give you an example. (laughs) Vietnamese has a lot of what you call diacritic marks. Those are things like apostrophes and accent marks to show tone. That means... We have words that have emphasis in English. But in other languages, especially Asian languages, we use a lot of tone. If you use tone in a different way, tone to go up, tone to go down, tone to go up and then down, these often give information about vocabulary. It tells you it's a different word. So Vietnamese needs accent marks, even though they use the Roman alphabet and it's not good. (laughs) It doesn't work very well. But... They made it work with accent marks and apostrophes. Some languages have adopted the Roman alphabet simply because of technology, like the typewriter. Before computers, if you wanted to be able to type or print your language, you did not have that many options. But if you used the Roman alphabet, you had a lot more resources at your disposal. So a lot of languages that had been previously unwritten created a written language out of the most versatile of the alphabets, and that was English. Okay? So we're going to stop there, but that gives you a lot of things to think about about why we spell things the way we do in English. It's often not ideal. Part of that is because we borrow words, and we borrowed our alphabet, and we borrowed our vocabulary, and yeah, sorry. And English is like, sorry, not sorry. I don't know if English would be sorry or not because it didn't ask to do this. It did not ask to do this job. It was drafted to do English. It was not a volunteer. Okay. So we'll stop there and we will do a third day and we'll put that out there in another two weeks. And then I will do my book review. So if you haven't told me yet, If you had a topic that you really liked out of the first season and you wanted to know what book I read or what information I had, there's a couple of books that I will definitely be including. But if you want to know about a certain topic and want to hear more about a book that I used for it, let me know. There's still time to do that. All right. So I'm stopping there. I hope you guys are still having a good summer and I'll catch you in a couple weeks. Have a good one. Bye bye.